I think it's really, really important to kind of assess internally myself. Um, what is my motive in, right. in coming into this conversation? Am I, am I trying to just kind of like fight or demag demagogue when, you know, I just, when I say demagogue, it's just kind of like, am I just going to speak without caring whether or not I get heard or not? Um, or I think the way that I try to combat that internally is truly trying to get to a place inside of my heart and mind where I'm loving people. Welcome back to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe that great leaders are listeners, and good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, and I'm excited to tell you about my guest today, Timothy Head. Tim is the Executive Director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition, and while serving as the Executive Director, Tim has played key roles in creating several legislative bills passed in recent years. The Faith and Freedom Coalition has a five-fold mission to mobilize and train people of faith to be effective citizens, to speak out in the public arena and in, in the media on behalf of Christian values, to influence legislation and enact sound public policy on every level of government, train citizens for effective civic action, and protest bigotry and discrimination against people of faith. I believe that the greatness of this country comes from the goodness of its people. You see all over the world the humanitarian efforts, the the United States of America leads, and that comes from the goodness of our people. But you have to understand where that goodness comes from. It's well known that America was founded on a bedrock of Judeo-Christian values, but it seems like today that those values are crumbling right before our eyes. And I think this is significant because the whole idea of limited government relied upon an active and vibrant religious fear educating the public on how to live. And the whole idea of separation of church and state, which came from a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Convention in 1802, is, the, is not to put religion in a ghetto, but that they work together. We have public policy being enacted by the federal and, and state governments, but we have an active religious fear teaching the people in the ways of morality. And on the Faith and Freedom Coalition website, they have a quote by Alexis de Tocqueville. And if you've never read his book, Democracy in America, I, I highly, highly uh, recommend it. But it says, freedom regards religion as the companion in all its battles, in all its triumphs, at its very cradle of its infancy, and at the source of all its claims. Because religion alone is the safeguard of morality, and morality is the best and surest pledge for the survival of freedom. And what I love at the beginning of that quote is how he says that freedom and faith are companions. And I think today we don't see them as companions. We see them as opposite viewpoints that are constantly clashing. So how, as Christians, can we use our faith to influence the way people think about public policy without browbeating people with a Bible? Because if we want to see future continue for the generations to come after us, the religious fear has to step up and replace this void that it has created that the government is attempting to step into by creating isms and other ways that replace these values and telling the American people how to live, how to live morally, because morality is the only safeguard to freedom and religion is the only safeguard to morality. So in this conversation today, we talk about how we can have these conversations with people. How can we use our faith when dealing with hard topics like abortion and homosexuality and the transgender movement that is happening in our country? How can we have these conversations that are helpful? How can we love people through these? Do we want to just be heard or do we want to actually have conversations that are useful? 
How can faith and freedom come together to make a more perfect union? That's the goal. They're not opposing views. They're companions on this mission. And I hope this conversation you find helpful uh, on that mission because all of us, whether you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, you're listening to this. I'm, I'm so glad. I hope you can learn something from it. Uh, how can we work together to move our country forward and ensure freedom and democracy for the generations to come? So without further ado, here's my conversation with Timothy Head. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking some time to be with me and just answer some questions. And I want you to start by just introducing yourself, kind of who are you, tell your story, and how do you get to where you are today? Uh, you bet. So uh, so thanks, Zach, for having me on uh, today. Uh, my name is Timothy Head, and I'm the executive director of a group called the Faith and Freedom Coalition. So we're based uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we uh, do federal public policy that's based up in our Washington, D.C. office. And uh, right now we have uh, about 25 what we call state affiliates, uh, so, so uh, state chapters that, that um, work in state legislatures and also in uh, kind of grassroots politics in, in about 25 different states. And so uh, we're, uh, we're busy on the ground and a lot of interesting things, um, but it's been a, an inter- interesting journey, I'd say, for, uh, for me to, uh, to get to this, uh, this organization. I've been with Faith and Freedom about seven years. Matter of fact, uh, I'm about two weeks shy of, of my seven-year anniversary. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the interesting things that uh, we, we will kind of loop, loop back around um, right. uh, to this as I tell my story, but uh, this organization is kind of an unusual, it's like a mishmash of a lot of different things, okay? Mm-hmm. So Faith and Freedom Coalition, we, we lobby, like I just said, in, state, in federal and state legislatures, uh, but we also have a pretty robust ground game. Uh, so we're turning out uh, evangelical and Catholic um, uh, people of faith across the country in 2020, we knocked on 6 million doors, 5.95 million doors across the country. Uh, so that, uh, that there's a, a lot that kind of goes into that ground game. Yeah. And, uh, and then we also uh, are doing communications kinds of things. And we're also mobilizing and t- kind of teaching pastors and churches more about uh, the, the, the civic arena and public policy in America. Well, I say that partly to say that those are those are actually kind of distinct things: legislative policy, political ground game, and mobilizing uh, churches and pastors. Um, usually, would be kind of three distinct organizations. It's a little ambitious for one organization to do it, and it's also a little unusual for one, uh, you know, for an executive director or kind of a, a, a point person for an organization to be involved in all three of those, but. Um, you know, oddly enough, um, I would I would say that one of the reasons why um, I fit well with faith and freedom, and faith and freedom has fit well with me, is because before I was doing any of anything related to faith and freedom, I was doing all of those things in different phases of life, and yeah. so uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of uh, touch on that towards the end. But it's it's been fascinating to me just living my life and uh, and really just trying to be responsive to what the Lord's leadership was that all of the different things I was doing when I was in my early twenties through my late thirties. Um, some of those seemed to be kind of detours, not necessarily linear progression of a, of a, 
a career, so to speak. Right. Um, but uh, but oddly enough, they positioned me well. So I, I was actually when I came out of I went to Baylor University in Texas, um, and out of uh, my undergrads in psychology, uh, I went to a, a like a discipleship training school right out of college, and um, and learned basically how to be a lay minister and missionary. Hmm. And I wound up uh, going overseas on a series of short-term trips that all together totaled about two years, Southeast Asia, Central Asia, the Middle East, Europe. So I'd spend like four to maybe six months in various places, uh, just doing service projects, helping existing churches to kind of grow, you know, various things, just, you know, preaching, teaching, uh, all these kinds of things. So it was a really cool uh, phase of life. Yeah. Came back to the U.S. and was on staff at a church uh, there in Waco, Texas, uh, um, helping to, to co-lead that same training school. And so we were teaching on doctrine, you know, biblical doctrine, teaching on kind of missiological techniques. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then going and ministering in communities uh, in the afternoons. And, uh, and so over time, you know, just, uh, just built, built some, some rapport and uh, relationships. One of going back and getting a master's in social work uh, to become a therapist and was a, a counselor at a, an orphanage uh, in oh. Texas for a little while. Uh, and then uh, I did that for about two years. I got married during, during that time, uh, during at the tail end of graduate school. Yeah. And, um, and then went to law school. Uh, when I finished law school, I uh, thought I was going to practice law, but uh, was working for a judge at the very, very last part of, of law school. And uh, as I finished, he said, you know, I should introduce you to this uh, state legislator in Texas uh, who really kind of sees things the same way you do, you know, politically, biblically, right. um, you know, just fun guy, cool guy. You like him. And uh, he wound up hiring me what I thought was going to be a short term, uh, like a five or six month stint to work at the Texas legislature uh, as his policy advisor, and uh, which I which I did. Uh, but that kind of parlayed into me uh, helping run campaigns uh, after. So the Texas legislature, for those of your listeners listening from outside of Texas, uh, they're only in session like six months every two years. Right. So, you know, the other year and a half of those two years. Uh, most people are campaigning. So I, I worked for the legislature for like five and a half, six months, and then went to work for, uh, you know, running, running kind of uh, specific campaigns and sort of over whole regions for the Republican Party of Texas. Right. Um, wound up having a lot of success there, went back to the legislature and was the chief of staff for a different member of the legislature, did the same thing again, helping to run campaigns. Uh, and, uh, and wound up working on a congressional campaign that hired me uh, to, uh, to once, once that congressional candidate won, he hired me to be his what's called a district director. So you have a D.C. office and you have your back home um, di- district offices. So I ran those, those district offices for a couple of years and through some of those relationships, uh, you know, kind of mutual, mutual relationships uh, introduced me to Faith and Freedom Coalition. So mm-hmm. Um, so ministry overseas, ministry in the States, uh, counselor at an orphanage, working at the state legislature on policy, running political campaigns, uh, and then eventually, um, you know, uh, come into faith and freedom. But, uh, but each of those steps wound up in retrospect, um, you know, being uh, strategic, both 
skill sets for me to develop and also, you know, relationships and networks that, uh, that got me where I am today. It is so funny how the Lord works in that, in those ways and how in our mind, everything should be linear we should get this job. That's going to lead to this job. That's going to lead to this job. And this is the end goal, but he's going to send you in different places as time needs. And then when you look back and you're in the place you are now, you can say, okay, this is what the Lord is doing, sending me to Asia or sending me to the Middle East. And now that I can help do think even with things going on in Afghanistan, like we were talking about before, but seeing that life isn't always linear and learning that is, is so important. So you, you're finally at Faith and Freedom Coalition and you're working there. So what are some of the main issues that y'all work on? What are, what are some of the main initiatives? Obviously, faith and freedom are yeah. probably two top tier ones, but what, what do y'all work on? So a uh, good question. So we, you know, um, the, one of the ways we, we sometimes uh, kind of synopsize it is, is by saying uh, that we work on, a, on public policy and crafting public policy from a biblical worldview mm. in a constitutional framework. So we're, we're conservative folks and we're Christians, but um, I think that, that kind of in most people's minds, Christians and, and non-Christians alike, they kind of think, uh, well, really, you know, Christians kind of care about two things, pretty much. They, you know, maybe three things. They care about uh, they pr- care about life and abortion. They care about right. like marriage and family, and they care about you know maybe they care about some of them care about Israel, and you know a lot of them care about like religious liberty. So if you kind right. of talk about those three or four things, life, family, religious liberty, and Israel, those would be kind of the the, the typical or the traditional uh, pillars, so to speak, for for conservative Christian public policy. The funny thing is that that's not all the Bible is about. Uh, the yeah. Bible speaks to all all uh, all corners of life, and so you know when it comes to public policy, um, we kind of have kind of kicked some of the doors open on some other probably ten or twelve different subject matters, which uh, I'll admit um, can it can be a little bit of a, a tiger by the tail trying to keep up with. Uh, 12 different, you know, so right. we work on human trafficking. We work on, um, on uh, the justice system. We work on education reform, immigration reform. We also work on tax policy. We work on, um, you know, kind of some um, uh, other, other kind of social issues that kind of, you know, crop up from here and there related to um, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. We, you know, we touch on kind of uh, gambling and casinos and things of this nature. Yeah. So in, anyway, there, there are, there's a, a host or a, a panoply of issues, but we typically um, kind of major on those four, life, religious liberty, uh, family in Israel. And then we uh, do a lot on, on justice, trafficking, immigration, and education. Uh, but, uh, but you kind of never really know exactly where that's going to go in a given day or week. You know, you right. know we, we, um, we set out, kind of plans and goals at the, at the beginning of a year and in different state legislatures, you know, these are the maybe five or six um, kind of priority bills that we're going to work towards in a given state. Um, but, uh, but you never know, A, what's, what's going to pop up that you may have to fight against, uh, or B, what current event might, um, might right. take shape that, uh, that calls, calls you into action. So, uh, so those are the, the biggies, but um you know, it, it, uh, it's, it's not dull, that's for sure. And, and honestly, you know, we've, we've obviously are based in America, um, but, um, but more and more, we're actually getting called into other parts of the world. So, um, yeah. you know, we're actually doing a couple of little projects in South America 
uh, in the Middle East. And then, you know, uh, those are like kind of legislative and political projects, um, which is, is a nice, um, nice place to get to, I guess, where uh, some either presidents or, um, or parliamentarians from other parts of the world start asking advice on, you know, how Guatemala should do something or how yeah. Israel or how uh, Croatia should do something. So, uh, so you never, uh, you just kind of hold on and, and uh, ride, ride the roller coaster. Yeah. You're putting out fires as they, as they come. And we're thankful that people from across the world are coming to a Christian organization asking for help of how they should be crafting policy. And you mentioned uh, a current event and then also places across the world. We were talking before a little bit about Afghanistan. Can you talk at all about what y'all have been doing there or how we can help with religious freedom in that place right now? Yeah, good question. So, uh, so look, you know, Afghanistan is, is a complicated uh, place. There are a lot of places in the world that are complicated, let's right. face it. But, uh, but Including the United States. Asia, yeah. yeah, or definitely, definitely um, you know, near the top of that list. Right. <clears throat> so... You know, I mentioned that I was, uh, um, I did some mission work, uh, particularly in Pakistan and India myself. But, um, you know, if you pay close attention to Afghanistan, you probably have heard that, that Afghanistan and Pakistan are, uh, they're, you know, they're neighbors on the map, but they're also uh, in, in a lot of parts of the world, you know, geopolitical lines are, are historically are more like suggestions. Okay. So, yeah. you know, Afghanistan and Pakistan have only really existed for, uh, a little under a hundred years as they currently exist, but these people have lived there, you know, obviously for, for centuries, sometimes millennia. So in Afghanistan, um, I've known a number of, of missionaries that have been in Afghanistan for 20 years now. Mm. So when things particularly started to go south about four weeks ago, uh, you know, uh, immediately, uh, this actually happens somewhat uh, commonly, um, in different parts of the world that just, you know, mission, either missionaries themselves or their mission agencies will call and say, <clears throat> you know, somebody's in a real, a real bind. Uh, can you help us communicate with some American, you know, entity, the State Department, the White House, the Department of Justice, Department of Defense, whatever. And uh, so I started getting those calls like four weeks ago from some very close friends of mine in Afghanistan and, uh, you know, so we started to kind of kick into action. It was just, you know, one or two people originally, but that kind of snowballed into, uh, so they, they were able, those are Americans. Uh, yeah. And so they were able to get out uh, pretty quickly and pretty easily before kind of the hammer dropped. But, uh, you know, once, once the, um, the airport was compromised, man, uh, uh, things got really, really difficult. And, yeah. um, you know, so I just had to kind of get creative at that point and try to, um, I mean, it's not like I own C-17s or C-130s right. myself, right. Uh, um, but, um, but I was able to, to find a lot of different, um, you know, I may not have a lot of relationships in different venues, you know, uh, uh, humanitarian aid organizations, uh, defense contractors, whatever the case. And uh, you know we're able to kind of get uh, get five or six uh, large uh, cargo aircrafts to land. Uh, we were able to get the names of specific you know people and families, um, either Americans still in the country or Afghans in the country. Mm. Uh, so you know we were able to probably uh, it's a little over two hundred folks that we've gotten out so far. Um, most of those go into neighboring countries like Tajikistan, a little bit to Uzbekistan, and then some to. 
um, you know, countries like Qatar and, and um, even up to like Serbia and Kosovo, there's some, um, some refugee camps that are starting to take shape there. But yeah. uh, that's going to be an ongoing project. Uh, so it's, it's not public policy that, that some might think in, in the, the classical sense. There's not a bill in some legislature that we're trying to lobby to get people, you know, whatever. Um, but it is policy in the sense that, um, you know, decisions, diplomatic and military decisions made by um, by a White House and Defense Department obviously had profound impacts on human beings. Right. And um, and, you know, a, a bunch of people who care about those people uh, just had to uh, had to, to kind of kick into action, you know. Yeah. So uh, so that'll be unfortunately an ongoing project uh, uh, prospect for us because we're going to be trying to help as many people as possible get out. Um, it's, it's, a it's a very, very delicate, uh, situation there. Yeah. It, it's so interesting. And it's fun to listen to kind of y'all's perspective, because there are different policy things within our borders that y'all are helping to push forward and really work on. And then there's things across, I mean, and across our borders that are, um, that y'all are called to help out on as well. And it's thinking through what you talked about, you're crafting public policy from a biblical worldview and a constitutional framework. So when you when an issue arises that we uh, need to deal with, whether it be here or abroad, what does it look like for y'all to take it from a biblical worldview? Do you, how do we do that? How would you coach young Christians to do that? To say, hey, here's a problem, and here's how to look at it from a biblical worldview. How how do you teach people to do that? Well, it's a great question. Um, so, you know, I mean, frankly, <clears throat> all of that begins with with. Uh, whether or not someone values uh, scripture, right? Uh, so you know, I, I think that there um, a, a long time ago a, a wise uh, pastor minister that um, what, that I was uh, working with uh, kind of he demonstrated to me you know physically kind of held a Bible in his hand and he said you know you can either uh, approach the Bible. Um, and he kind of held it below his head and he said like at his chest level and he said, you can you can you can analyze <clears throat> or assess the Bible as just a written document, maybe a historical historical document or, you know, something to that effect. Uh, maybe you're a skeptic. And so, you know, you may be evaluating um, whether it's true or not. Then he held the Bible like parallel to his head. And he said, or you can approach it as as somewhat of a revered book, you know, like it's a, it's a wise piece of literature that, you know, that has some wisdom in there that I'll kind of extract and apply when, when, uh, when it, it, uh, when it applies to, to my circumstance. And then he held it above his head and he said, or I can, I can approve it. Uh, I can approach scripture as, um, as really authoritative, truly authoritative. And, and if you approach it from an authoritative perspective, um, really, it start you know it it kind of starts to wash over and shape not only who you are personally. It certainly begins there, but it also starts to shape. Uh, it, it becomes sort of like the the sift that we approach all of life through. So, right. uh, parenting issues, or you know, kind of what should what should I do with my life? Kinds of questions. Uh, you know, how should I deal with conflict? Kinds of questions. Um, in, in all manner of life. And so sometimes scripture speaks specifically to, uh, to things or other times it just kind of speaks to how a prudent person would make decisions. So, uh, so it may be very kind of prescriptive of, of this is what good policy could or should look like. You know, so we might look at, uh, at 
at policies that Israel used, you know, as good policies, possibly in, in, in biblical history, or we might look at other other countries or regimes, you know, in, that are also uh, alluded to or taught about in scriptures as having oppressive uh, policies. And, mm -hmm. and so obviously those are not models for us to, to follow. Uh, but more, more often than not, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of offering principles. Um, principles, again, on, on, uh, on life, on principles on fairness, principles on equity and justice, principles on, uh, on, on these can be public policy, but they can also be management principles, right? If you're going to run a business. Um, so, so I think that, that it's really important to kind of integrate um, uh, scriptural truth through all, um, all kind of um, venues of our life, personal, professional, political, uh, you know, et cetera, financial, relational, uh, on and on. And, um, and so we just we try to do that through public policy as much as we do in our own personal lives. And, um, and so, you know, we there certainly are other uh, legal documents that we're, we're having to, to comply with. And, and um, but but we kind of start with a scriptural premise and then let it flow from there. Hmm. Yeah. And I think I would say or ask, how do we deal with someone who, who doesn't necessarily value scripture as we do? Like you said at the beginning, it's like, does this person value scripture? What if we're working with somebody that doesn't? And so our beliefs, we, we have the same values, I guess you could say, if we do, some people don't anymore, as why our country was founded, what we're built upon, why we stand for justice, why we stand for freedom. But then the biblical topics, it gets shady or different because we believe different things. How do we deal with those people and not just browbeat with a Bible, but also know that we hold truth? Like this is truth and we stand firm in that, but also understanding that people don't believe the same things we do. Man, that's a great question and, and a pretty robust question. So, right. you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll break of, it down. We'll crank, crank it, crank through it pretty quick, but that's, that almost is an ongoing, you know, those are future podcast questions. That it we should have been the first question I asked. I think we should have skipped everything else. <clears throat> no, this is uh, this is great. So I love this conversation. Okay. Yeah. Cause um, in the world of public policy and politics, uh, this, this is kind of the, um, the rubber meeting the road of, of, of how are we to be in the world, but not of the world. Right. And <clears throat> excuse me. And also to, to, to offer uh, hope to be uh, kind of uh, constantly um, prepared to offer the hope that we have inside of us. But you're right. I mean, some people either flat out don't believe what all, uh, you know, at all. Some may be uh, uh, come from some, some, some kind of different faith tradition uh, or, uh, you know, frankly, a lot of people are literally hostile. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I, how do we, how do we do this? I would say, um, the principles, uh, you know, another wise pastor that I sat under years ago said, um, uh, spoke, he kind of demonstrated the, the, um, phenomenon of wisdom, particularly biblical wisdom. Uh, he drew kind of like the like the corners of a cube. If you can picture in your mind, if you're drawing like a cube, um, there there's one one kind of uh, leg that sticks out um, vertically. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, horizontally, I guess uh, that um, alludes to or kind of speaks to that that wisdom from heaven is um, is uh, equitable. So it's fair between two people. It doesn't prefer one person over another. Wisdom from um, 
from uh, between two people uh, from heaven also is if you draw that second line of a cube also is uh, is effective. It literally works. If it's not wisdom, if it just doesn't work at all. Uh, but then thirdly, wisdom uh, from heaven, and he, he went to this line, you know, the up and down line of a cube also is righteous. And so it's, uh, it, it um, satisfies the, uh, the requirements of heaven, of godly, godly righteousness. So it's righteous, it's fair, and it's effective. Um, or uh, you can say it another way, it brings harmony in relationship with God. It brings harmony in relationship with people, and it also just works. So if it's water policy and you end up with bad water, that's not uh, biblical. That's not wise, um, wise policy. So, you know, I really uh, focus a lot whenever I'm working with other people on the the kind of equitable or fair side of the of that that uh, prong and the the effectiveness side of the prong. Okay, Uh, so I'm trying to find policies that will do what uh, what they say they'll do. And that are, are fair and just between people. Now, on top of that, I'm also adding this righteous element to it right. that we may or may not explicitly talk about all the time. Um, but but I'm always looking for ways to build build bridges. And so some of that is is um, the topics that I might um, choose to work on. Right. So uh, we also work on hunger policy, for instance. Um, so when we're talking about um, uh, relief. In, in Haiti, for instance, trying to get food to people who are living in a devastated area, that, that's an important thing for, for any country, but, but in this case, it's important for America to do. If we're, you know, Haiti has a complicated history, uh, and so um, it's important for the U.S. to actually uh, sort of be, uh, have a, a, a sustainable Haiti, okay? <clears throat> so, we're working on policy on disaster relief, on infrastructure uh, recovery, but also on food delivery. Well, there aren't very many people that are going to be against um, saving the lives or sustaining the lives of people of that are living in hurricane and and uh, and uh, earthquake rubble. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but but then you have to get questions of effectiveness. And fairness, right? So, so one of the major problems in Haiti has been a long and elaborate history of corruption, yeah. which obviously is unfair. It's not equitable between people. So we have to get the food to the people who need it. And we also have to make sure that government officials don't take 30% off the top of whatever America and you know the UK, et cetera, are sending to Haiti. Right. So I'm working with other people. So we actually work on a lot of bipartisan issues um, and, and bring... Uh, fairness and effectiveness to the policy. And, uh, and then on top of that, the way that we conduct or comport ourselves through these interactions are, you know, we truly are diplomats, just like uh, America has diplomats to France. France has America has diplomats to Russia. Russia has diplomats to Guatemala. Uh, So we also, uh, you know, if our citizenship is in heaven, um, we we really are ambassadors or diplomats from heaven to this world. So I have to represent heaven, and especially if I'm, you know, uh, publicly holding myself out as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, right. I have to comport myself in a way that is uh, reflective of heaven and honoring to God, and also impressive to people who may either not believe or even may be hostile. 
Yeah. So, uh, so I'm constantly when I'm working on justice issues, trafficking issues, or even if I'm working on controversial issues like life or, uh, you know, some family, family policy, I'm always doing it through that kind of lens of I'm representing and I'm working for biblical truth, but I'm also still an ambassador of heaven. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm full of grace. I'm full of truth. Um, just like Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Is it fair? Is it effective? And also, is it righteous? And you mentioned that there are a lot of bipartisan issues uh, that y'all work on. And I think that whenever we encounter someone that we disagree with or doesn't have the same values with us, we so quickly run to what we're against or what we disagree on. What are some of those issues that we can be focusing on so that before we get to the discussions where we clash, where we disagree, that we can make a connection? We can say, hey, we agree on this. This is something that we both want to fight against, whether it's uh, bringing food to people in Haiti, uh, protecting, well, not protecting the unborn or, or life, I guess. But what are some of those issues that we can connect with people on? Well, uh, uh, so uh, there, there are issues, and I also think there are even ways to, to frame some of the controversial issues. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of start with, with the yeah, issues. Yeah, let's do both. Else. You know, I mean, no, no doubt um, the, the immigration, um, well, well, maybe why don't we start with, with, uh, with I think, a, a very basic one that a lot of people um, uh, care about and are talking about more is human trafficking. Mm. So, you know, very rarely will you find somebody that's like for trafficking or for, right. uh, you know, um, victimizing innocent, uh, innocent people. So right. you know, we actually do a lot. You know, we've uh, we actually were integral in the passage of <clears throat> of amending Section 230 of uh, what's called the Communications Decency Act, the CDA, um, uh, that uh, basically uh, brings some some liability or some responsibility to online platforms that have been used uh, to solicit people. Hmm. Okay, so we actually worked with all kinds of people, all kinds of people in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House uh, to uh, to get that bill passed. Uh, this was about four years ago now, and um, it was some people referred to it uh, kind of colloquially as the Backpage.com bill. So um, in doing that, uh, I mean, I was working with, you know, Google in certain contexts uh, on, on that. Um, so, you know, I think that, that if you pick, pick issues, I would say uh, disaster relief would be another one. Hunger uh, would be another one. Uh, you know, just, just kind of um, common good kinds, of, uh, kinds of, of issues or subject matters. Uh, and then, you know, the uh, uh, other uh, approaches to things like the justice system or to the, uh, the immigration system, uh, it's actually possible to, uh, to work on an issue that might be controversial, but to do it in a way that seeks to be, again, um, fair and effective, but also rhetorically can be a, a bridge builder. So, you know, a lot of people assume um, based on our name or, you know, they kind of know something, they think they know something about our organization. We actually come a, a lot of times when I'm either debating somebody or speaking at a conference or, you know, going into media, uh, they, they, a lot of, a lot of times people try to pick fights with me. And if I have enough time in advance, I'll try to kind of, you also get to where you can do this somewhat on the fly quickly. Uh, right. I'll try to diagnose or, or um, figure out what, you know, other issues that they might care about and you can disarm them by finding some commonality. 
Yeah. Um, so that uh, one, so that you're kind of bridge building specifically with them, but two, you're also kind of humanizing yourself and also this kind of whole experience that I'm not, I'm not, you know, when it comes to like marriage or, you know, life issues, I think a lot of people just immediately go to kind of these, these tropes, uh, yeah. these kind of rehearsed, um, right. What, know, what they're regurgitating from talk news. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, you, if you can kind of disarm um, the, the hostility, at least it makes it a little more difficult for them to, uh, to, to regurgitate hostility back to you. Yeah, of course. Uh, the, because, because they, they kind of see whenever, you know, this is, this is kind of complicated, but in, a, in, a, in an era of 24-7 media and also um, of uh, a lot of uh, social media, frankly, uh, algorithms and um, confirmation bias tend to kind of polarize people, right? So it's, right. Uh, we're, we're all kind of subject to constantly um, having our own opinions confirmed and yeah. having uh, and kind of demagoguing uh, anybody that theoretically disagrees with you. So, so a lot of times, whenever you meet somebody that you don't know before, you kind of categorize them very quickly and almost, it's almost like a chance for some people to, to, to try out the, the tropes that they've heard from, you know, from talking heads or, you know, clever Instagram posts or something right. like that. Yeah. So if you kind of break that down and say, no, I'm a person, I'm not like a, I'm not a category to you. I'm just a person. Yeah. And I care about, you know, saving innocent children. I care about feeding hungry people. Does that sound anybody like, like anybody else that we know? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe like Jesus. Right. Uh, but I'm here to, to, to care for orphans. I'm here to care for widows. I'm here to defend the, uh, the uh, powerless. Um, so we can actually do that. If you're kind of intentional or, or proactive, you can do that uh, by first humanizing yourself, <clears throat> kind of building bridges and then speaking respectfully and informed uh, in informed ways about um, you know maybe some of the the more controversial issues. Yeah, I love that, and I think it's just reminding people what we are for. We I think we just run so quickly to what we're against. How I don't know. It's just so hard to connect with someone when all you're talking about is how you're against them. We're against each other. We're on different teams. But if we can make those connections, like you said, we are for feeding hungry people. We are for saving innocent children. And that is, Jesus would definitely approve of those things. And all people can get around that. And like you said, not many people are out there just for human trafficking. That's just, you're not going to find many of those people out there. But let's take some one of the more niche issues. Let's take it a step further. And the, the deal issues with homosexuality and the family and marriage. And obviously we know from, from the scriptures that it is wrong and that we have, there's a, a, that marriage is between a man and a woman, but then whenever it's brought up and they say, well, it's not bothering you. Why do you care? Well, because, and so how do we respond to that? How do we, how do we combat that? Yeah. Another good question. So, you know, one of the things that I, I tend to um, try to kind of check my own heart on before I enter into those kind of, <clears throat> those kinds of, uh, I think it's really, really important to kind of assess internally myself um, what is my motive in, in right. coming into this conversation? Am I, am I trying to just kind of like 
fight or demag demagogue when you know I just when I say demagogue it's just kind of like am I just going to speak without caring whether or not I get heard or not um, or I think the way that I try to combat that internally is is truly trying to get to a place inside of my heart and mind where I'm loving people yeah. okay so if you're going to talk about the issue of, of homosexuality I have to ask myself do I hate these people right because if I do then it really doesn't matter whether what I'm saying is true or not. The hate is actually going to come through and that's, they're going to feel that they're going to sense that. And it's going to repel even, even if what I'm saying is factually or, or maybe even like biblically true, right? If they're just hearing that and, and let's be honest, uh, you know, most, especially adults, but frankly, you know, even, even younger folks that are experiencing that the, those, this kind of life, there's a lot of hurt in their own lives, maybe with their family, maybe some trauma that that's had that's happened that that you know they're, they're probably not going to tell you about. And or they're hurt by the church you know, or someone in the church interaction. So um, I mean, you're kind of trying to penetrate a really uh, kind of thick shell yeah. on a very hot topic. And so the first question that I have is, am I am I loving them? And I just ask quickly if I'm if I am frustrated or if I'm um, feeling sort of uh, either defensive or, you know, whatever. So I just asked God, I mean, I literally just asked, Lord, give me your heart yeah. in, for this person, the specific person, either, you know, maybe they are living a homosexual lifestyle or, or maybe they're just trying to argue with me, but whatever their lifestyle is, you know, may or may not have anything to do with that. But, yeah. but let me, I'm asking for your love to penetrate this this kind of thick shale so first for me it kind of starts with getting my my heart and my mind right and then beyond that i think um it's also important for us to understand not just what god's commandments are but why why does he tell us so i mean i, I liken it sometimes to a you know a parent telling a child not to touch a hot stove yeah. how like limiting how um patronizing like let them touch whatever they want to touch well the reason why god says right. don't play in the middle of the interstate is not because he hates interstates or because he hates <laughs> stoves. It's because there's, there's huge danger there. Mm -hmm. And so as a loving father and as not just as a righteous judge, but also as a love, as a loving father, he's giving us these things, um, these, these uh, either teachings or even commandments out of love and for our benefit, for our own personal benefit, and also for the benefit of all mankind. And so whenever the answer is just do whatever you want to do, it'll all work out in the end. Well, that's that kind of hedonistic, um, individualized approach sounds good on paper. And I'm sure it's easier just to kind of like, uh, you know, disentangle a conversation. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Just do whatever you want to do. Right. I think the the loving approach is actually uh, why does God give us uh, these kind of parameters or confines? And um, and so, you know, it's, it's I, I'll be honest, I don't usually get into those debates because uh, generally all those debate, those quote unquote debates are, are really just, they're kind of like, uh, you know, they're really kind of bullying. Yeah. <laughs> they're just trying to kind Trapped. of take a fight. Okay. And I don't really get into a lot of fights. I'm, I only try to... Um, I'm, I'm trying to, to move policy and I'm trying to, to persuade people and also to, um, you know, eventually to, to represent God. And, 
Um, there are definitely, definitely times to speak truth. I'm not I'm certainly not arguing otherwise, but when you know that you're walking to, into a situation where the audience just doesn't want to hear it, uh, and you can kind of sense that if I'm loving people and then I sense that this isn't truly a conversation, it's really just um, this inflammatory, you know, um, kind of uh, bullying then either I change the subject or I, you know, I move it, I move to something else. Cause I, I also am a big, big believer and you have to earn in order to speak to deep places in people's yeah. lives. You really have to earn credibility first. Mm. Yeah. That's so important. You have to, uh, yeah, earn the right to be trusted and to be heard before you just start speaking and, and yelling. And I think that's something we run into a lot. I know I only have you for a few more minutes, so I just want to ask you our final question. What we love asking all of the leaders we have on is just what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Kind of that reflective look back on the, the nonlinear moves that you made to get you to where you are today. What advice would you tell that person? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I'd love to hear other people's responses to that because that's uh, there, there probably is uh, a lot of interesting wisdom there, but I would say, <clears throat> you know, for me, um, I'm a, I've been, uh, thankfully, I mean, I've known the Lord for, for most of my life, even, even in childhood. Um, but I think, you know, if you would have asked me in my, when I was 16 or 18 years old, I could have told you what I was going to be doing when I was 40. Um, and, um, and I, you know, by the time I was 25, all of those plans were out the window and I was in the Himalayan mountains showing the Jesus project to people that didn't speak English. Yeah. It's not in the plan. So, um, so when I was, you know, speaking to my 20 year old self, I would say, um, you know, I think a lot about kind of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hmm. And then all of these things, and, you know, so right before that, you know, the, the, uh, Jesus is talking about how, um, how flowers are clothed and birds are fed and, yeah. you know, basically all of nature is, it really has everything that it needs. Uh, so the, the true, um, best way to live life is just to seek God, uh, and to seek his righteousness and his kingdom and, uh, and truly all these things will be added to you. And so uh, I think that, you know, uh, we, can, we can talk a little bit about the, the, the prospect of kind of seeking the world um, and, uh, and dispelling or, or kind of uh, delaying seeking God. You'll actually end up with neither. Uh, whereas if you seek God, you, I'm not necessarily saying the world in a colloquial sense, but everything that you need to really be happy, well, God will provide that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so interestingly, I didn't, I, I did, you know, I do, I have an undergraduate degree. I have a graduate degree. I have a law degree for all from, you know, good, good schools, good, uh, good universities. Um, but, uh, but I didn't necessarily set out, you know, how can I have a certain income or have certain credentials or meet certain, I don't know, famous people or something Right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that, uh, I really just, just, um, you know, when I was, probably in my mid to, mid to late 20s, it, it really started to, to settle in or, or kind of sink in for me that um, the, uh, and, and I got this, you know, a lot of times uh, I'll do a, a quick little analogy for anybody that's watching on, on TV or watching on a screen, but one of the wisest people that I ever set, uh, met, um, he said that the real question in life and he buttoned his, he, he was wearing like a, like a coat and he, uh -huh. and he buttoned the very top button of the, uh, of the coat and he said, uh, the first and kind of seminal question that everybody asks and must answer the very top button to life is who is God? And then the second question that flows naturally from that is 
based on your answer to who is God, then the next question is, who am I? Not even like who's humanity in general, but who am I? And he said, if you answer, if you, if you answer that first button or that first question, right, who am God, who is God? And he said, uh, so in, uh, in Psalm 119, it actually speaks to um, that you're a good God and what you do is good. Uh, so his, his premise was that first, even, even above his holiness, even above his, his omniscience, his omnipotence, um, that seminal at his core, the core of God, he is good. Everything that he does is good. Everything he says is good. Everything about him is purely and cleanly good. And then the second question is, well, what if he says certain things about me, then that, that has to be true. Right. So uh, quickly, I'll just close by saying, you know, this guy had been a pastor for 55 years when he was telling me this. He said, I spend most of my time trying to get people to unbutton like the sixth button of life. Mm that they have, they have like the sixth button in like the fourth hole. Yeah. yeah. And like, they're trying to compensate for weird stuff. They have weird relationships or they have weird self images or they've done certain things that they're now trying to undo. Mm. So he was like, most of my life is actually trying to do like the sixth buttonhole because when they were young, they didn't get the first buttonhole. Right. Mm. So I would just say, you know, to my 20 year old self, uh, anybody else that's uh, that's listening to this today is if you'll button that first button well and just take your time and don't be in a rush. The first button that who is God? The answer is he's good. Above everything else, he's a good God. And secondly, everything that he says about you, if you'll go and, and search out scripture, everything he says about you, that he has good plans for you. And then if you can really internalize that, who he is and who you are, the third, fourth, and and fifth. Who should you who should you marry? What colleges should yeah. you go to? What should you major in? What job should you take? All of those things will truly kind of fall into place. Mm. It's great advice to look back on, and it says in Jeremiah twenty nine: If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, and if we seek God, we answer that question: Who is God? And therefore, who am I? I think everything else is going to figure itself out. So, Tim, thank you so much for your time and and just answering these questions and being with me today. It's been an honor. What a, what a treat. Thank you so much, Zach, for uh, having me on and um, love to come back anytime. Let's do it. <laughs>